0: amen it is a a real joy to worship together every Sunday night. Uh, We're here, except next Sunday night. Don't come back, which sounds weird to say, but you'll hear more about that. We're doing a Serve Sunday next week, and we'll remind you in a few minutes. I want to encourage those of you who are maybe brand new with us. I know a lot of you are visiting for a particular reason. Thanks for coming to see me. I I love you. Um, That's the second time that joke worked. Okay, so blah, blah, blah. Um, But some of you are brand new, and because every week we got some brand new guests here, and we are honored to have you here. I know it takes guts coming to a new place, and we would love to connect with you. In fact, I'd love to write you a note this week, and you can find out information about us at the Next Steps table, and I'd love to meet you there afterwards. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and uh, tonight, we're going to have a, a special guest uh, preaching tonight, and I'm really excited for you to hear from him, and then after he's done, we're, we do this every week, we have a space and a time for communion, and we've got communion tables here in the in the middle, and we have one in down front, each side, uh, gluten-free. Crockers, if that's you, not me, as you can tell. But um, if that's you, it's down here. We'd love to to have you participate in that, or you're welcome to stay seated. Just kind of have a moment, think about what Roger is going to share, what you're going to hear from the book of Philippians tonight. And with that, uh, I am delighted. Really delighted uh, to introduce to you someone that I think is probably uh, in the top five of people who's ever impacted my life uh, as a friend, as an encourager, as a mentor, and uh, really delighted to welcome him back to Tucson, and welcome him here to Element City Church. I told our church last week, I'm just delighted for you to hear from his heart as he unpacks the word. Uh, this is a gift he's had for years and years and been very faithful with that, um, most I think one of the most humble guys I know, one of the greatest encouragers I know, and uh, you're in for a real treat. So without further ado, would you give a great Tucson welcome and a great Element City Church welcome to Dr. Roger Barrier.
1: (laughs) Jack, thank you. One of the best friends I ever had.
0: Well, I'm still here. <laughs> You're still going, so we're I'm good. still going, we're good. All
1: right, thank you. Well, it's nice to see everyone this evening. I wish you'd take your Bibles and uh, go to the little book of Philippians. It's one of Paul's epistles. It's near the back of the Bible. Uh, how many have real Bibles? All right, how many have electronic Bibles? Man, look at there, half and half. Uh, I need to find my wife. Julie, where are you? You stand, Are you here? course, I know she's here. Oh, hi. I always like to know where Julie is. Um, we do that because of the signals. This means speak a little louder. It's a little softer. This means stop. <laughs> so I, I'll be looking over there occasionally to be sure where she's, where she's seeing. The book of Philippians is a letter That was written to one of Paul's favorite churches. In fact, it was perhaps the church most near and dear to his heart. Because you see Paul's heart just ministering and flowing through to these people. Um, he'd, He'd been persecuted in their city. He'd been beaten in their city. He'd been robbed in their city. And they picked him up. Dusted him off. Got him healed and well. And he stayed in Philippi for a while, uh, ministering and teaching, and they took care of him and gave him gifts. And then it was time to uh, head off on his next appointment to Berea. And so they gave him supplies. They took good care of him and sent him off on the way. Now, how many of you have been to Philippi? Anybody? One? It's a fascinating place. If you go to Philippi, it's really built on on a hill with a big amphitheater flowing down to all the ruins of the city. And then there's a stream that comes floating through there. And just on the other side, this humongous battlefield. It's where the uh, leadership of the Roman Empire was settled between uh, Caesar Augustus, who was fighting Brutus and Cassius. You know what they did to Caesar. And Octavio, Octavia won the day. And it became a Greek city, which comes into play when Paul is sharing with the folks who beat him up that he's a roman citizen and the head of the city can be put to death for beating a roman citizen without a trial and when they found out that paul was a roman citizen uh, they ushered him out of town real quick but he'd gotten his gifts and he'd headed off to uh, berea to minister and to teach there At philippi was started the church by some by some ladies And on the Sabbath, there were no men involved. It took seven Jewish men to uh, start a synagogue. They didn't have any men who were Christians. They didn't have enough Jews for a synagogue. And Paul heard about these women that were by the side of the river. And by the side of the river, they were worshiping one Sabbath morning. So Paul went over there, became friends with the women. And that was the start of the church. Now, the Bible says they were by a river. And if you go to Philippi, There's still the river, it's still there. And they've taken a beautiful, beautiful set of rocks and bricks and built a baptistry there. And the water just flows down the river, it flows among the baptistry, so people can come and get baptized. And we were standing there and I saw that and had a great idea, I thought, you know what? Julie ought to be baptized here. (laughs) She's been baptized once before, but you know, it's always good to give your faith expression. I said, hey, come on, let me baptize you here. And uh, she said, No. I said, Come on, come on, let me baptize. She said, No, I'm going to get my hair wet. <laughs> so uh, she missed an opportunity, but if you ever go to Philippi, <laughs> bring yourself a robe and get, uh, get baptized again. It's a beautiful place for that. Paul loved this church. So look with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. It's been about 10 years. Since Paul has had any communication with the Philippian church. It's been about 10 years since he left. And Paul's now in prison in Rome. And they have sent him a gift. And he's so diplomatic. Because they'd sent him this gift when he needed it. Verse 10, Philippians chapter 4. Paul, Paul says to them, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. That at last you've renewed your concern from me, for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you just hadn't had the opportunity to show it. Now, isn't that a beautiful way to say it? You know, it's been 10 years. You could have given me some gifts. I've needed them, which he did. You know, you, you would have if you could have. And I know that. You just didn't have the chance 10 years later. So, so, so loving. So kind, he loved this church. In fact, it was one of his favorite churches when he there, he he said, the book is called The Book of Joy, because over and over again, Paul talks about joy, I'll just read you a few. Paul says in verse three, I thank my God every time in remembrance of of you. Because of these things, I rejoice. He writes and he says, uh, so that through my being with you again, verse 26. Your joy in Christ may overflow on your account for me. You Flip over to chapter 4. And he writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. He writes in chapter 4, verse 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, you know, it's real interesting when Paul wrote this. Because if you go to Philippi, it's about a mile from the uh, Mediterranean Sea. But in Paul's day the seas retreated, it was right up next to the uh, docks. They brought docks right in there. And it was a beautiful beach. And Paul was sitting on the beach. And he had a nice towel to sit on. I think he probably had a beach umbrella. And some sunscreen. And it was kind of warm. And he had his tablet. Maybe he had his iPhone. And a nice tall drink. And you know, it's really easy to write things like, Rejoice in the Lord always rejoice got my stuff here. Going to be on my jet ski in a while. Doesn't get any better than this. And so it's the book of rejoicing. Of course, you know, it's not true. He wasn't on the beach when he wrote this. He didn't have a big tall drink in his hand. Didn't have an iPod or a tablet. No television. He was in what is still known as the maritime prison. How many of you have been to the maritime prison? Several of you. Just uh, north of the uh, uh, Roman Forum, and it's tucked around the corner, and it's, it's been there thousands of years. It was hewn out of solid rock, and if you go in there, they've got some steps that lead around the outside of the circle, uh, uh, f- cut out of solid rock. And today, you can climb the steps and get into or down into the, the cell, and in there, it's all solid rock, and it's cold, and it's damp, and somebody's built an altar with Peter and Paul, because Paul's was imprisoned there. Peter was imprisoned there, and they got two crosses. Paul's upside right, and uh, Peter's is upside down. He got crucified upside down. Now there's steps now, but there were no steps when Paul was tossed into the prison. You can stand there and look up, and there's a hole I guess about this big cut in the cut in the solid rock, and a screen over it so nobody upstairs can fall through it. But that's how they put the prisoners in. He kind of tossed them down. It's about eight feet, I suppose, they fell. We don't know how long he was in that prison. He went into it when he was 60 years old. It's interesting that comparing historical notes and comparing the Bible, you can figure out that Paul began his first journey at age of 46. And at his 60th birthday. And nobody knows for sure, but some have guessed as long as four years he spent in the Mamertine prison. And it was cold, and it was dark, and it was wet, and it was damp, and there were rats on the floor, and no lights. And in that circumstance, Paul writes seven times in the book, Rejoice, 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 rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I'll tell you, I'd like to know how to do that, wouldn't you? No, well, not really. I don't want to be in that prison. But I'd like to know, you know, because I have my troubles and problems, don't you? And there are times it feels like I'm in the prison. And it happens to all of us one time or other. And I'd like to know how in the world he could pull this off. Look in verse 10 again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. But at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned. You just didn't have the chance to show it to me. But I'm not saying this because I need anything from you. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And wouldn't that be nice? Whatever, you're in prison, in jail, IRS is after you, cancer, you could say, I've learned to be content. Now that's got to be a beautiful thing to learn. Notice it doesn't come naturally, you've got to learn it. Verse 12 I know what it's like to be in need, I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret. Of being content. It's a secret that has to be learned. Being content in any and every circumstance. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or want. And here's my daddy's favorite verse. And I came to like it from my daddy. Guess you got are to say it's my favorite verse. He says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. My dad loved that verse. My dad had a lot of sayings. I loved his sayings. In fact, when doing his funeral, uh, we could count 20 or 30 of his sayings. Uh, Some you know, like on the yardstick at Home Depot, it'll say life by the yard is hard by the, ease as a cinch, I forgot what that is. Something like that, he loved that one. How about finest frogs here? When something worked out, how many of you heard that? You heard finest frogs here? Look at there, it's mostly guys who play golf. See, finest frog here means, it, it it turned out really good, it's fine. It's frogs here. You know what, frogs don't have, frogs don't have hairs, but on the golf course at the very edge of the green it's called a frog hair. You love to tell me, Roger, things are fine as frog hair. Don't sell your peanuts at the end of the parade. <laughs> <laughs> Squeaking wheel gets the grease. Listen to this one. The bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price has been forgotten. Learn to live by that. Listen to this one. One more. He who whispers down the well about the goods he has to sell won't have as many dollars as he who climbs a tree and hollers. (laughs) This is good advice to live by. It's good to have a dad with wisdom. He was full of wisdom. And his favorite saying of all was what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You show me a problem my dad was in I can do all things through Christ. I can handle this. I can do all things through Christ. When he was dying with lymphoma, 86, 87, and I've come home. We're going to, time to put him in the nursing home. Mom can't take care of him anymore. He says, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll handle that. See, my dad learned the secret. He learned the secret of being content in every circumstance because, frankly, it just, uh, doesn't always come that easy now something about that bothers me does it bother you verse 13 i can do all things through christ who strengthens me Uh, but he was in prison and he can do all things through christ who strengthens him but he couldn't get out of jail we know he was chained to roman soldiers And he said, you know, it's really exciting. I'm changing this soldier and I'm telling him the gospel for 12 hours a day. He's probably hardly wait to get away from me. So I'm sick of hearing the gospel. He says, but these people will come Christ all of Caesar's Caesar's household knows about Jesus Christ because I've been in prison. There was a purpose for Paul being in prison. But you know, this bothers me. Because he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he couldn't get out of those chains. I know that in Romans chapter 2, Paul Paul prayed that all Israel could be saved. But I know he didn't get all Israel saved, because when Paul died, most of the Jews weren't Christians. And this bothered me. God gave him a thorn. We'll mention more of that in a moment. Put a thorn in his flesh, keep him from being proud. And we know that he prayed three times for God to remove the thorn. And he could do all things through Christ. You strengthened him, but he couldn't get out of that thorn. And I guess it began to dawn on me that maybe Paul has something else in mind. Look at verse 10. I rejoice now again that God has uh, renewed your care for me. Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm saying this because I've learned to be content in every circumstance. You know, my favorite definition of contentment is a small kitten following a leaky cow. (laughs) Boy, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And that sounds content to me, but there's got to be more than that somehow, you know? That's that's sweet, but it's not quite there. In Carmel, California, one of the uh, uh, really famous artists was asked to paint a picture of contentment and so he painted a beautiful seascape there's beautiful seascapes around carmel and california near monterey and he painted this lovely seascape and it was so peaceful it looked so kind see those waves rolling in you don't get more peaceful than this but the uh, one who commissioned the painted said you know this isn't quite what i had in mind can you do better So he decided he'd do a little differently. If you go to 17 mile uh, loop in Carmel, you see all those jagged trees that are all facing this way because the wind always blows this way. And so there's not a straight tree over there. They're all bent like this. And he'd taken one of those famous trees and he'd bent it over in his picture. And it was a terrible storm. The wind was blowing, the rain was falling. And there was a bird's nest in the tree and mama bird sitting in the nest on two little baby birds. And the one who commissioned the painting sitting that's what I, that's kinda of what I had in mind. It's one thing to sit by the seaside. I mean, anybody can do that. It's quite another thing to be content when the storms are coming strong. Now, I don't guess I want the beach and the sunset and the sunscreen, I guess I really do. But I'd rather be like that little robin, wouldn't you? When all hell breaks loose, I'm content. I've learned the secret. Look at verse 12. Oops. He writes in verse 12. Because I know what it's like to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, because whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Now, what's he just said? I know what it's like to live with a lot. I know what it's like to live with a little. It's not hard to be content with a little. It's really tough to be content with a lot. Remember, Julie and I, we've been fortunate to be a lot of places around the world and teach and so forth, and you know, the most contented picture I can ever remember seeing was a favela, which is a, um, a slum. You know, it's interesting when you go overseas, the front of every street, it was a tourist trap and some kind of very famous tourist, but if you go back two or three streets in every city of the world, big city, then you get to the real life back there. So where the slums are. And Julie and I were ministering in a church which was in the slum. Okay, so this reminds me of a story. When I was younger, I don't think I would do this. But I got a story. Would you like to hear a story real quick? It's about about what happened in there. So we go to this church in Brazil and they told us, now there's one sign you don't ever do. You don't ever do the okay sign. You know the okay sign? Well that's a really bad sign in Brazil. So they told us a hundred times. You know Americans do this a lot, don't do this. So we were in this church in the slum and the youth choir didn't know they had a youth choir. This youth choir got up and sang, it was just like heaven. And when they finished, they were filing out to get their seats. And I went, boy, that was great. That was great. Really well done. Well, I gave them the double OK. And uh, silence, total silence. And the whole church just broke out laughing. Oh, thank God, that was close. OK, but right outside the door, kids were playing soccer with a tin can. You ever watch kids play soccer with a tin can? See, you see, you see kids playing tin can, they were laughing, they were joking, having the best time, and I thought, now there's a picture of contentment, because I compared that to the American child, where two brothers are fighting over the same soccer ball. You know? <laughs> and you'll see a bunch of kids, are fighting over stuff. In the Flavella, they had a can. See, it's, it's more difficult to learn to survive with a lot and be content than if you've got a little. (coughs) Paul said, I know what it's like to have nothing, and I can be content. But I've also learned the secret of having a whole lot of stuff and still being content. Because a lot of folks who have a whole lot of stuff really aren't very much content. Um, Are you letting Jesus pour in the power? Because what Paul's saying is, no matter what the circumstances in which I find myself, um, I've discovered I know how to meet every single situation victoriously, because Jesus Christ pours in the power. And my first car—how many of you remember your first car? Who had the best one? Well, I don't think I did. I had a 1960 Rambler, American. It was chartreuse. <laughs> it didn't have a gear shift over here. It had buttons. You push the buttons to change. Anybody else have a car like that? Yes, sir, man, that was impressive. You should have seen Julie's eyes when I picked her up for the first time. <laughs> We're gonna go on that? That was my first car. And it, it didn't have a lot of power. I had to be real careful getting on the freeway. You'd get in the acceleration lane, and I'd step on the gas, and it'd go 30, 31, <laughs> 32, and if I didn't time that just right, I could have problems because I had to slide in the line going 34 miles an hour. <laughs> and then I got an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, 1967. How many of you have one of those? There's hands on that. You know, I never worried about getting on freeway. That thing had about 370 horsepower. And I'd just kind of give it a little press and shoo- I was on the freeway. And that's what Paul's saying. We don't have to drive ramblers when you've learned to be content because I pour into power. See, see what he says is you've got that 67 O's cutlass. But the sad thing is, a lot of us live as if we don't have any power at all. So you've got to ask the question are you content? Does Jesus pour in the power? Do you have the power? What's going on in your life? Are you abounding right now? Are you not abounding? Are you hungry? Are you well fed? Because isn't it true that all those times, one way or another, it comes to us? I've had a lot of surgeries, way too many. But I, I know that, um, you know, that is so hard on mothers. Isn't it? You know, they're so embarrassed, but it's okay. I've heard Julie cry like that. (laughs) It was hard on me, but we got through it. (laughs) See, it's at this point that a lot of Christians have problems because they live like the rest of the world as if there is no power. Well, if we can just change things, I can be content. If I can just change things. You know, if I could just get a new TV, I could, I could, I could be content. Just need a new TV. Don't want one of those, you know, two by three uh, plasma deals. I don't want one of those new nine foot wide, you know, LED things. If I could just have that thing, I'd be happy. But they get the big giant LTV TV deal, whatever it's pronounced, forgot. And, and it's on the wall, and they're at home watching that thing, and they discover they're no more content than they were when they bought it. You know why? Because it's the same old folks watching the new TV who used to watch the old TV. See? If we could just have a new couch. Just want to do a little remodeling. If we could just have a new couch, I think I could be content. Then you buy the new couch and you put it in the living room and you discover you're no more content now than you were then. Why? Because it's the same old folks sitting on the couch now that used to sit on the old couch. Well, if I could just have a new car. Just get us a new car. Be happy. So so the folks get the new car. And they're not happy because it's the same old folks driving the new car used to drive the old car if we could just get a new house, we need a new neighborhood, you know, we've gone up in the world, we've got more salaries, Uh, if we just get a newer house, we'd be content. But have you noticed, they're not content. Because it's the same old folks living in the new house used to live in the old house. Have you learned the secret? So you don't have to have the new nine-foot TV, so you don't have to have a new car? Have you learned the secret? Are you still out there trying to live like the rest of the world who has no power? Now, Paul had his ups and downs. See, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have little. It'd be interesting to ask Paul about some of the highlights of his life. Hey, Paul, what's the highlight of your life? I know what he'd say. Well, you know, the highlight of my life was the day I was on the way to Damascus to kill Christians and all of a sudden, Jesus appeared and blinded me. And I heard him say to me, why are you kicking against the pricks? The pricks was a, was a rolling uh, a farm implement. had a lot of sticks coming out of it. They uh, broke up the dirt with it. And you're kicking against the pricks. Why do you do that? And Paul says, well, Lord, where did he get the Lord part? He was going to kill, but he, he, just, he knew immediately who it was. It was the Lord. And I think he'd say, well, I guess the most exciting day of my life was the day I met the Lord. And I had a vision. And and I I saw him. And my whole life changed forever. What do you think he ate? Paul, what else was a highlight in your life? I think he might say something like, well, you know the day that that I was coming to the church at Ephesus and I was transferring leadership. I've been there two years. And I'm transferring leadership to the elders because we all know I've been here twice. I'll never be back this way again. And so they go out in the boat halfway across the, the, the river there, and they're weeping and they're crying as Paul handed over the keys to the church. Paul says, you know, when you continue your ministry through people, sometimes it just doesn't get any better than that. And that was a special day in my life, I bet he said. He founded scores of churches. I'll list just a few. Antioch, Lystra, Derby, Troy, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessaloniki, Berea, Corinth, just a few. You know, I planted a lot of churches. (laughs) That's pretty good. I think you rejoice in that. What else? I always wanted to preach on Mars Hill in Rome because it's the intellectual center of the world. And I wanted to debate with those guys. I wanted to be with those guys. And finally I got to speak at Mars Hill. One of the but now wait a minute. Could that top this one? There came a time when the Lord came to me and he took me right up into heaven. And I saw unspeakable things in what heaven was like and what went on there. So well, Paul, what'd you see? Well, it was unspeakable. He can't tell us what he saw. Uh, That happened to him three different times the Lord called him up to heaven. That that was pretty special. How about the downs? Well, take your Bibles. Uh, I want to summarize for you because he did some of the downs. Uh, Leave your fingers there in Philippians. Turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 23. He's been criticized by some of the elders at uh, Corinth. He says, look, let me tell you, they're nothing. I'm going to boast. I'm only doing this because you need to know that they're the nothings, and I'm the one who's the really apostle for Christ. He says, here's my qualifications. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. You know what the flogging was. Uh, you, you probably saw that Jesus film when they portrayed it just so graphically when... See, they'd take a set of leather strips, and they'd tie pieces of rock and bone on the end, and with four or five of those strips and bones on the end, they'd take a prisoner in time to a pole and just whip that across his back 39 times. Why not 40? Well, the law said you could do 40, but just in case they miscounted, they did 39. Multiple times. Been flogged more severely than those guys. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Anybody ever see the movie Glory? There you go. It was a Civil War story about an African American troop. And one of the guys was put under the flogging. And it was just horrendous to see the pain and the ripped flesh. Paul says, I got that from the Jews five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. You know what that was? The Romans used to take two sawhorses, so to speak. They put one here, one here, and they'd stretch the prisoner between the two sawhorses and tie their feet and their arms down. Then they'd take these metal rods and they'd step back and they'd just hit it in the middle of the back as hard as they could hit. There's three times the Romans did me like this. That's why a lot of folks Well, I'll get to that in a minute. It was a horrible pounding could break the back, ruin vertebra, <clears throat> nerves. It's one of the Romans' favorites. Once I was stoned. <laughs> you know what stone we're talking about here? Three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled, I've often gone without sleep, I've known hunger and thirst, I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face all the pressures of having to take care of all the churches. See, I know what it's like to be up. He had visions of heaven. But he also knew what was like to be down. In fact, if you'll turn one more page to uh, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations. What were the times caught up into heaven? You know, if you get caught to heaven, you could get really proud that God chose you to do that. So to keep me from being proud. See? God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Now that's interesting. Satan is directed by God, or God gave Satan to stick a thorn into Paul. To torment me. Thorn's an interesting word. It's a word, it's a boxing word, which can mean that to split somebody's lip. It's the word for a stake, like a tent peg that you stick into somebody's body and pound it in. You're sticking in there with a stake. There was given me this thorn, this twisting stake in my flesh, which was a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, and you want to underline this, because the word grace here is going to be real significant in a moment. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I went too fast. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'll all the more boast about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What in the world does that mean? See, it's one thing when a Christian has cancer, troubles, loss, and responds like the rest of the world. You know, Christians do that. But it's another thing when you see a Christian going through exactly the same problems and tough difficulties and Jesus just pours in the power. And so in my weaknesses, when I need it the most, that's when Jesus poured in the power. And he was sufficient. Grace. A lot of folks want to know what the thorn was. There are four main guesses as to what his thorn was. I think one of them is probably the one, but uh, nobody really knows. Why does nobody, why didn't he ever tell anybody what his thorn was? Because then we might say something, well, I never got beaten like that, so I don't have this issue. No, no matter what your issue, it could be your thorn. It was, Paul's got this problem, you've got this one, the other. But in the weakness, he can pour in the power. Um, first choice. A lot of folks think he was just flat-out ugly. (laughs) In fact, uh, there are descriptions of St. Paul from the first and second century. I wish I'd brought a picture of Paul as reconstructed by a forensic artist with skulls of that generation. Long story short, an apocryphal writing describes Paul as a man with big bushy eyebrows that met in the middle had, uh, the ugliest faces of all times who walked stooped over like this why because they beat the tar out of his rods with rods that's why and the bent over poor guy is so ugly so a lot of his thorn just he's ugly uh, others think he had malaria in fact in Galatians chapter one he says you know It was really nice when I came to you, you didn't spit at me. What do you mean spit at me? Well, in the ancient world, people with epilepsy were thought to have demons, and you'd spit at people when they had epileptic seizures to keep the demons away. But Paul probably had epilepsy. Malaria, probably got that in Pamphylia on his first journey. You know, malaria is a horrible thing to have, and it could have been Paul had recurring malaria which was a terrible problem for him. You lose control of your bowels completely. You have chills and fevers. that just relentlessly never go away in some ways for someone who's been struck down with malaria. Probably had eye trouble. Probably, and I've always guessed that one of those whipped uh, cat-o'-nine-tails caught his eyeball and just pulled it out. Why? Because he says to the Galatians, You know, if you would have, you could have, if you would have, you guys would have pulled out your eyeball and given it to me. He's about to be sent to Rome, and the Sanhedrin has brought him before Felix, and the high priest is sitting there, and Paul walks over and starts talking to the high priest, and one of the soldiers slashed Paul. Don't you know who you're talking to? And Paul said, no, I didn't realize he was a high priest. Why? Probably couldn't see him. He got hit for that one. So we don't know what his thorn was. I think it was a pretty good guess he had eye trouble. Now, sometimes God will remove the thorn. And sometimes God will leave the thorn in to transform us. A thorn stuck in can transform Julie and I were in Istanbul and uh, she was teaching some worship things and after she finished one evening uh, this young man I say young he's probably in his 40s yeah that was young he was about in his 40s and um, he says can we have a prayer meeting for me I need a healing and so uh, being one of the speakers I kind of had to go to the prayer meeting But I enjoy going to healing services, so I went to the healing service. There were about 12 of us, and we're all praying for this guy, and what's the problem? Well, he has what's called restless leg syndrome. How many have had that? Isn't it awful? I took a medicine one time that that was a result of that stuff, and you you can't lay down. You just gotta get up and walk around the house at two in the morning, because you just, it's an awful, I thought it used to be you just shook your foot, but it's, it's, it's more awful than, than that. This guy said, I got restless leg syndrome. And would you please pray for God to take this away and give me healing? He said. And somebody asked, Well, how long have you had it? He said, 12 years. I thought, you know, he's been praying for a healing for 12 years, huh? So we all started praying for this guy with the restless leg syndrome. And um, about halfway through, I'd had enough. Now, I'm going to say this real gently. I don't mean this to be mean. I had enough. And I kind of slowed down the prayer meeting. I said, you know, I really feel led to say something. You know, if God hadn't healed you in 12 years, you think maybe he's got something else in store for you? I mean, Paul prayed three times and God said, that's enough. No, no. And if God hadn't prayed for you in 12 years with a healing, you think, what do you think? Why do you think you're going to get one now? Maybe he's got something else in store. Well, the other 11 people in the prayer group thought I was crazy. For breaking up the prayer meeting but when it was officially over he and I sat down and he describes his symptoms he's had restless leg for 12 years it's a horrible thing to struggle with and we talked about how probably he didn't have enough dopamine because he takes more dopamine that'll stop your restless leg I so said you're not going to go to the doctor because the Bible talks about healing oils which is medicine and, and I'm really recommending you go to the doctor and get some medicine for this probably clear you all up because there's no sense you suffering for 12 years with this. But it may be that the medicines don't work because God wants you to have this. See there are times when he leaves the stake in for the purpose of what? Transforming us to be special. Now there are two words that come into play. Purpose and grace. God had a purpose for this, this young missionary. And I said to him, you know, it's a shame. It hurts. But you are defined by this problem now. When anybody thinks of you, they think of your problem. And you're allowing it to define who you are. You see, when people think of us, we want them to think about Jesus, don't we? Not his restless leg. I said, you know, maybe God's got something else for you. <laughs> Maybe he's leaving this in for a reason. See, that's Romans eight twenty-eight. All things good to work together for those who love God. We say to the person with cancer in the bed, "It's going to be fine because all things work together." They love God, and then they die. I say, well, maybe he's got something else in mind. Yeah, all things work together, verse twenty-nine, for the good purpose of growing us to look just like Jesus. part of learning to be content is to realize in the midst of hell on earth that God has a purpose for your life and sometimes that purpose is right in front of what we're going through and we're all ticked off and upset when God wants to say hey would you settle down I've got you just where you want because I'm going to use this thorn to mature you to look just like Jesus that's what I'm doing here don't miss this that's what Peter writes in 1st Peter chapter 1 don't be surprised At the suffering you guys are going through, don't you know that the suffering is for the purpose of, remember Jesus, Hebrews chapter 5, talks about um, uh, he, he, he was the son of suffering and he learned obedience from what he suffered because he knew God's plan And that plan was carried out through suffering. And if he'd not followed through with the purpose, he'd miss the whole thing of what God had in store. And some of us are missing totally what God has in store because when the pressure comes on, we forget he's got a purpose. Now, God's got a purpose for you. What's his purpose? To make you look like Jesus. And for some of us, that takes a lot of work. Okay? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to draw a couple of things together. One of my favorite little ditties. It's not one of Julie's. But that's okay. She's got some little ditties that maybe aren't my favorite. But I like this one. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And a word said she. But all the things I learned that day when sorrow walked with me. Isn't that true? See, the truth is, it's the tough times that really teach us. purpose. So You've got to get the purpose down. Don't forget this. If you're going to be content, you can be content because you know God's got a purpose. And if you can't figure that out, you'll never be content. You'll fight against the pricks. Purpose. And the second word is grace. You see that verse I double read? For my grace is sufficient for you you know, my little kids both took ballet lessons, just for fun. How many of you ladies took ballet lessons? A oh, little good. Okay, answer. How many of you men took ballet lessons? Okay, well, look at there. Well, if you were a ball player, you probably took, if you were smart, ballet. It helps a lot if you're a ball player. But when my little kids took ballet, you know, they were like your little kids. About, you know, two feet tall, little tutu on, just didn't get any closer, cuter than that, you know. A little ballet. It's cute and they didn't have any grace. Maybe a little grace, but not much. (laughs) See, when I think of a ballerina, now that's different. A ballerina has grown up a little bit and can stand on their little tippy toes and dance so gratefully. In fact, Julie and I had the fortune of going to the uh, Rome uh, Ballet School, one of their performances. It was incredible what these ballerinas could do. See, we think about grace as you know, smooth movement and sweet and kind, but that's not the meaning of grace in the Bible. The, the meaning of grace is unreleased. Excuse me, is released power. That's the incessant Greek word for grace. It's the release of power. It's not some sweet little ballerina who looks so graceful. And that's you can use the word like that, but why use it like that when you can use it in the biblical term? Grace is unleashed power. And Paul is saying here, listening to Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made manifest in weakness. My grace is sufficient. One of my favorite writers was named Charles Spurgeon. Anybody heard of Charles Spurgeon? Oh, look at all those hands. He was a tremendous... Pastor Died at 56, way too early. Lived in the middle of the 1800s. He wrote thousands of sermons which are all over the world. They used to publish his sermons and telegraph them from Italy to Australia to New Zealand, all throughout Britain. Incredible speaker. And he was asked one time, if you were to be consigned to die tomorrow on the village gallows, do you have the grace for that and he said no but tomorrow at noon at the village gallows I would see God doesn't give grace martyrs grace to a secretary but let the secretary become a martyr and she'll get martyrs grace See, when you need it he's gonna pour it in and you can be content there's a lot of other things to talk about how to be content, but I'm trying to be real simple tonight. There's a purpose. It's not out of control. And the is available through Jesus Christ. Grace, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, one, one more thought, and I'm going to close. Oh, no, I'll go longer than that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to close. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you notice, did you notice? Go back to Philippians chapter 4. I did not read verse 14. Didn't read verse 14. So I'll read it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet, it was good of you to share with me in my troubles. As in the early days when you gave me gifts. Now what is this? You see, it's really important that we realize that experiencing the the pouring in power of Jesus Christ is just half the story. See, he's pouring in the power, but he also had what? People and friends. Half the story is just having the people around us who can help pour in the power so we can be victorious because it's really tough to go through hard times alone. Isn't that true? I don't want to go through hard times alone. So Paul, I can do all things through Christ, up and down, in or out, I can do it. But you know what? I had a lot of people supporting me because I need my friends. You know, it's fun to watch the people that supported Paul. I'll mention a few. When he was cold in prison in that dank, dark prison, he writes and says uh, to Timothy, could you please get my coat? uh, It's come cold. And get the, the books and especially the parchments. The parchments were made out of vellum. The parchments were... Permanent documents. The others were just papyrus, didn't last long. Would you bring me the books? And especially my apartments and my coat. And Timothy goes, Oh, and get John Mark. He, I need him around. He's profitable. He needed his books, but he needed his people. He got gifts from the Philippians. Only one time was he alone. Over in, I want to read you this just for a second. In Romans chapter 16, just for fun sometime, read Romans 16. And Paul lists all of the people that have been with him in the ministry. And it'll blow your heart and your mind. I'll just read a couple. Would you please commend to them our sister Phoebe, I want you to ask her to be received in the way of the Lord. She might need to help you because she was a great help to many people, including me. Would you please greet Rufus? You know, Rufus was the guy who carried the cross on the way to Calvary. Would you greet Rufus and his mother, who's also been of great help to me? And he goes on with the list. But one day he was in Athens. And he was all alone. He didn't have to be. He'd gone that day to Mars Hill and he'd preached with the philosophers. And of course, you know the story. There were statues of all these different gods around the room. And Paul uses his beginning around the room. It was outdoors. On top of this uh, hill. You can still go. How many have been to Mars Hill and climbed up the side of it? Several of you. It's inspiring. On the wall, they've got a a big, big brazen, brazen. a record of his speech chipped out of bronze, and you can read the speech when he said, "I see you've got all these gods. You've even got a god to the unknown god. In case you missed one, well, I'm here to tell you about the the unknown god." And he starts talking about Jesus, and he starts talking about the resurrection. Now he's talking about the fact that one day Jesus Christ will resurrect us, but in Greek. The word resurrection is feminine. Paul's going to run about the resurrection and about Jesus. And Jesus is masculine. So you've got a masculine and a feminine. Jesus, resurrection. And what are they thinking? These are two new gods. Jesus and resurrection. The male and the female. And when Paul began to realize they weren't getting it, he stopped and let me explain this. There's going to be a resurrection. Jesus is going to pull it off. And they started laughing at him. Funniest thing they'd ever heard. And they laughed him off the hill. And that afternoon, Dr. Luke and Timothy and a couple other folks were going to stay with him. And Paul said, no, no, you guys go on ahead. I'll catch up with you over in Corinth. Just want to be alone for a while. And you read the story in Acts, he got so depressed, he was so depressed, so embarrassed, that he's contemplating suicide. That's how depressed he was. Why? He tried to do it alone. And that's that's what Paul's saying here. Man, when the troubles come, Jesus pours in the power, i got a purpose for my life. And you know what? I need some people. I just need some people. Because with Jesus Christ and with people, I can be victorious in every circumstance. So my dad's 87. And I go home from Tucson. Oh, no, no. We lived here 40 years. Now I'm in Dallas. No, I guess I was in Tucson. Sorry. And I went, flew home to Dallas. And time to tell my dad... Gonna have to send you to the nursing home. And um, we talked about it a while, and decided to wait just a while. Well, I, I took my dad to the doctor. He'd been on an experimental drug. And um, we went to the doctor's office. My dad asks him, my dad's in a wheelchair. Dad asks him, well, th- is it working? And the doctor said, no, Roger. His name's Roger. I'm sorry, the experimental <laughs> drugs aren't working. And my dad looked at him and says, well, okay, but what are we gonna try now? And the doctor said, Roger, I'm sorry. There's nothing more to try. And my dad was real quiet for a long time. And then he said, uh, well, how long do I have? Oh, three months maybe my dad was real quiet. And then he said, Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm rolling him out into the lobby and heading down the hall toward the elevator. And I hear him say several times, very quietly under his breath, Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Last words you ever spoke. See, I know what it's like to be up. I know what it's like to be down. I know what it's like to have thorns sticking in me. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like, guys. I know what it's like to have victorious highs. But I've learned this. Through the people around me and Jesus Christ pouring in the power, I can be victorious in any circumstance. Hey, 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 hey. So can we. We can do this. Let's pray together. Father, it's so sweet to talk with you. And it's such a pleasure to open up your word and to see what you've taught us there. See the lessons which transcend eternity. And we thank you for revealing these things to us in your word. Father, we thank you that when we need you the most, you pour in the power. Father, I know how you tell us in 2 Corinthians that we have the treasure in jars of clay. And I thank you the Holy Spirit lives in us. To show people that the surprising power lies with you and not with us. And so, Father, I pray you get a lot of glory out of our lives. I pray that in the midst of our weaknesses, Jesus Christ would pour in the power in such a way that we'd show the world that we're different. We have something they do not have. And Father, we thank you for every one of us, on behalf of every single one of us in this room, that you're there. We're not alone. And you've made available the power we need for every circumstance. We thank you. May these next few moments of communion give us great peace and comfort in all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.